Hi, it's Ellen, and today we're going to be talking about the Nazi use of terror. First, let's discuss the instruments of the police, who were vital for maintaining control over Germany. We had the Orpo, who were the conventional municipal uniformed police, and we also had the Kripo, who were the plainclothes police who investigated ordinary crimes. From 1936, all Lander police forces were unified into a national force under Himmler, who was answerable only to Hitler. A new division called the Sippo combined the Kripo and the Gestapo. And Reinhard Heydrich oversaw this and answered to Himmler. The SS was the main instrument of terror with a wide range of roles. By 1939, the SS had 240,000 members across various organisations. There was the Waffen SS, who were the elite military units, and they grew to rival the Wehrmacht, which was the German army. Death head units ran concentration camps and panzers, which meant tank units, also existed. The SS also had an economic branch, which, called was, the, which was called the WVHA, and this ran over 150 firms. The SS also organised extermination camps and controlled much of Germany's conquered territories in World War II. The Gestapo investigated crimes against the Third Reich, including treason, spying, sabotage, and they sent thousands to concentration camps without trial, known as protective custody. The Gestapo acted against Jews, left-wingers, trade unionists, homosexuals, undesirables, and critics of the regime. And as racial legislation developed, the Gestapo's role grew as well. Gestapo agents infiltrated suspected opposition groups and monitored non-conforming individuals. However, they also heavily relied on informants and denunciations. The SD was the Internal Security or Secret Service, considered an elite force, and they were responsible for the security of the Third Reich. The SD focused on gathering information, and it investigated and rooted out enemies, whether real or potential, of the Third Reich, to which there was no right of appeal. The SD reported on public opinion and could investigate or monitor anyone it suspected of being an enemy of the state. It had an extensive network of informants as well, and this was run by Reinhard Heydrich as well. So how do historians assess the instruments of the police? Sachs in 1992 said, the SS was not merely a police, surveillance and paramilitary organisation. Its main objective was to make great the racially pure Volksgemeinschaft. Bess, who was the chief legal advisor to the Gestapo, said, as long as the police, by which he meant the Gestapo, carries out the will of the leadership, it is acting legally. Himmler on the SD stated that the SD will discover the enemies of Nazi National Socialism and it will initiate countermeasures through the official police authorities. So it's clear that in this dictatorship led by Hitler, the police had considerable leeway to do as they pleased and it would be deemed legal. So if we just cover what the responsibilities and methods of the Gestapo were, we know that they didn't openly um, attack opposition groups. Instead, they chose to infiltrate suspected opposition groups and they invested crimes against the Third Reich. 
The Gestapo were actually quite small in their number, so they heavily relied on denunciations, and this created a climate of fear in Germany. And they chose to target suspects such as Jews, left-wingers, trade unionists, homosexuals, undesirables, and critics of the regime. Under Hitler's dictatorship, the courts were also manipulated to favour the Nazi regime. Existing judges had to take an oath of loyalty to Hitler. Under a new penal code, their decisions must reflect the will of the people, so they could be replaced. New people's courts and special courts were set up alongside traditional courts, so judges who went against the government's wishes were easily bypassed. New specialist agencies were also given their own powers to enforce policies. For example, the Gestapo and SS were able to operate outside the legal system. And finally, punishments were ultimately arbitrary and there was no right of appeal in some courts, which means that all the power rested in the hands of the NSDAP. So we've established that if the Nazis wanted to bypass any judge who would go against them, they used their new people and special courts. And to ensure the loyalty of judges, the Nazis required an oath of loyalty. Different historians have drawn different conclusions about the success of Nazi propaganda. And there were various different forms of propaganda which would have different impacts. So it's important to remember that the Nazis had a kind of carrot and stick policy. They used both terror and instruments of the police to intimidate their opposition and also create a climate of fear. But they similarly used propaganda to establish um, a culture of Volksgemeinschaft, which was positive and supposedly inclusive. Joseph Goebbels headed Nazi's Germany propaganda machine, and it had three parts. The RMVP, which was the Reich Ministry for Popular Enlightenment and Propaganda, the Reich Chamber of Culture, and the NSDAP Central Propaganda Office. The RMVP controlled propaganda, arts and entertainment. The Reich Chamber of Culture was to promote Germanic, Volkish culture, and membership was compulsory for anyone involved in the arts, culture, or the media. The RMVP controlled all aspects of the media and the arts in a variety of ways. They had direct or part ownership. They were controlling those who would work in the media and the arts. They all oversaw what the media and the arts produced, and they dealt with nonconformists. Licenses were also issued to approve writers, artists, musicians, um, and this could be revoked. Without a licence, you were not able to work in the Third Reich. So in terms of the three elements of the Nazi propaganda machine, we had the RMVP, the Reich Chamber for Culture, and the NSDAP Central Propaganda Office. And this was led by Joseph Goebbels, and these institutions had different responsibilities. The RMVP controlled propaganda, art, and entertainment, the Reich Chamber for Culture was to promote Germanic Volkish culture and membership was compulsory for anyone involved in the arts, culture or the media. So having established what the different organisations were for propaganda, what were the forms which propaganda took? Ultimately, it can be considered pervasive and everyone was exposed to Nazi propaganda. Firstly, this was established through the radio. 
In April 1934, the Nazis created a unified German radio system and purged it of all the usual undesirable elements, and thus controlling all radio content. Cheap radios were subsidised by the Nazi party, and they had limited range and only picked up one station. So by 1939, 70% of all German households owned a radio. Most output on radio shows were typically light entertainment or news. And every district had loudspeakers which could broadcast speeches by Nazi leaders. Book burnings were not particularly effective, but they were highly symbolic as a form of propaganda and also a method of intimidation. Books written by Jewish authors, the left wing, the liberals, Democrats, traitors, foreigners or anything which was considered to denigrate the German vogue was all burned. The Reich Association of the German Press had lists of acceptable editors and journalists, and the RMVP controlled content through the press agency. Local newspapers were harder to control, but the Nazis' publishing firm, Eher Verlag, took over most titles. So by 1939, the Nazis controlled 69% of German newspapers. So what was visual art like in Nazi Germany? Artwork typically portrayed superior heroic Aryans or idyllic family life. Landscapes often showed the rural folk and the land which they worked, for example, the artwork Blood and Soil. Degenerate art, on the other hand, was banned, and this include abstract, included abstract, surreal art and work from artists such as Van Gogh or Picasso, as well as communists and Jews and all the list of undesirables which we mentioned previously. Public buildings were meant to be a lasting memorial to the thousand-year Reich. Both their outside and inside spaces would be experienced by thousands daily. Nuremberg rallies were filmed and shown on newsreels, and it was hoped people would be fired up with enthusiasm for the Nazism. They were addressed by Hitler. Festivals also celebrated key dates in Nazi history, such as a Nazi seizure of power on the 30th of January, Hitler's birthday on the 20th of April, and the Munich Putsch on the 9th of November. According to Adam in 1992, few politicians have produced such adoration, even hysteria, as Hitler. The 1936 Berlin Olympics was also an international propaganda opportunity. Film was not usually overtly used as propaganda. Its value was in keeping the masses entertained. There were newsreels before all feature films, however, and they were full of propaganda. About one-sixth of feature films were meant to be propagandist, for example, Jud Suss in 1940. Lenny Riefenstahl was the most famous producer, and she made films of festivals or rallies like Triumph of the Will in 1935, about the Nuremberg Rally, and Olympia in 1938, about the 1936 Berlin Olympics. So to establish two films which Lenny Riefenstahl produced, they had Triumph of the Will in 1935 and Olympia in 1938. And in terms of the types of art which was depicted in Nazi Germany and which was accepted, we had landscapes depicting rural vogue and the land which they worked on. Uh, artworks portrayed superior heroic Aryans or idyllic family life. And public buildings were meant to last for a thousand years to be a memorial of the Third Reich. Whereas degenerate art, such as work by Van Gogh, was banned. 
And if we continue finally to just reassert the use of the radio in Nazi Germany, we know that in April 1934, the Nazis created a unified German radio system. Cheap radios were subsidised by the Nazi party and by 1939, 70% of households owned said radio. Most of the output on these radio shows was light entertainment or news shows and every district had loudspeakers to broadcast speeches. Thank you very much for listening to this episode about terror and instruments of the police and also propaganda. Next time, we're going to be talking to you about opposition to the Nazi party. If this episode has got you in the mood for more revision, then head over to SenecaLearning.com where you can revise all of your A-level subjects absolutely free. And if you're on Apple Podcasts or Anchor, then you will find a link in the bio. But if not, just type in SenecaLearning.com and you'll find us. While you're at it, if you could rate us five stars and subscribe or follow to all of our revised podcasts, which cover every subject you need, then that will help other people to find our podcasts.